sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. This is Healing the Whole Person on WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio. Hi, this is Letty Medina with 88.5 FM WSFI Catholic Radio. And this month on Healing the Whole Person, I am going to interview a good friend of mine, Tim Biondo. Uh, I've been aware of Tim's story for probably almost 20 years is when I think I first heard your story. And Tim has a beautiful story of healing and not just physical healing, but spiritual healing. So welcome, Tim. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Lady. It's really a joy to have you here. And um, Tim and I also work together in teen ministry. So we have that bond as well. So it's always a joy for me when I have friends on the show. So why don't we get started with your, um, just a little bit of background about your family life growing up and what, what that was like. Okay. Well, uh, you know, I grew up in Chicago, a Catholic. I uh, went to St. Rene School on the southwest side of Chicago and there was an altar boy and a patrol boy, and every once in a while I'd, I'd hit the honor roll. Uh, nothing exceptional. I'm one of four boys, uh, all T's, Tommy, Timmy, Terry, Todd. <laughs> and uh, my mom and dad, Diane and Chuck Biondo, raised us on the southwest side of Chicago. Okay. And we were just regular folk, a mm-hmm. good, good Catholic family, trying to you know, make our way in life. We were v- very much into athletics. We were all in pretty good shape and healthy and that kind of stuff, and yeah. uh, really kind of enjoyed early life. Okay. Um, tell me a little bit about uh, your teen years. Well, you know, uh, I wouldn't say I was, uh, uh, my, my poster isn't on any billboards and post offices, <laughs> but uh, I, I, I knew how to work the system and I knew how to break the laws, uh, yeah. you know, and not too bad. Never, I never hurt anybody, to my knowledge. Um, but, uh, you know, I pushed the envelope and yep. I had a really good time, I thought, and, uh, you know, really was, you know, racing fast and heavy. And, and I got through high school and wanted to go to college, didn't have the money to go to college. Gotcha. So I went into the Navy. Okay. And uh, my dad was in the Navy, so I'm like, well, that's, this seems like a really good good plan. Okay. And I, I asked to be stationed in Hawaii, and uh, thank you, Lord. I was very, very blessed to be stationed in Hawaii for two okay. years. It's really tough. Uh-huh. And when you're in Hawaii, you get sunburn, <laughs> and, uh, and, and I traveled a lot. I, I saw the world. I, I've been to five continents and, you know, 40, 50 countries. I saw some of the nicest countries in the world, and I saw some abject poverty. And, and I really got a feel for for society, for the world. Yeah. And I'm very, very blessed to get that young education before the age of, of 22. Okay. And I know that you're married. Can you tell us a little bit about how you met your wife? And Sure. Well, my career, after I got out of the Navy, uh, my plan was to go to college. Now, I had some money. Um, and so that was the plan. And, and But it was between I got out in September, and I had to wait four or five months to go. Uh, and so I, so my mom says, well, you know, let's go for a job interview. I'm going for this job interview at this new airline formed under deregulation, Midway Airlines. I'm like, I don't want to work, you know, at an airline, mom, I want to go to college. And she says, I'll just keep me company. So I kept her company. The person who was interviewing her says, would you like an interview too? I did. I got the job and was very, very fortunate. God blessed me. Uh, I, I became a supervisor in six weeks and I became a manager in two months and the airline became successful. And, and, and life was really, really, you know, going pretty well, fast and furious, of course. Yeah. And uh, then about a year after that, I got a phone call from someone who I used to go to prayer meetings with in high school. And I, when I was in high school, I, as I mentioned, I was a little bit of a, a rough uh, kind of guy. 
But I did go to prayer meetings with my mom okay. on occasion. And one of the leaders of that prayer meeting, uh, two of them were Alan Eleanor Fiasconi, had a daughter named Charlene. She was a little kid, 13-year-old. Well, I got a phone call when I got out of the Navy saying, hey, this is Eleanor Fiasconi. Can you get my daughter a job? And uh, at Midway Airlines, and since I was a manager, I, I got an interview and she ended up getting the job. A few months after that, we started dating. Oh, how beautiful. And uh, a few months after that, we got married. It was just, it was <laughs> one of those, we went to the hall and said, when's your next open date? They said, April 3rd. And, and we got married really, really quick. And it was a rough, uh, not a rough relationship. Everything went, went really, really well for a while. Absolutely. And where was God in all of this as you know, far as your own relationship? You know, the Fiasconis were, were solidly Catholic people and, you know, they ran the prayer meetings and, and my mom uh, and dad were, were good Catholic people. Uh, you know, none of us were very uh, into the rosary or into any too, you know, dynamic of conservative, solid Catholic things. But, but we, you know, we were good. They were a good Catholic family. So that's where our roots were. And that's okay. certainly what brought us together. And so we went to church sometimes. Mm-hmm. And more often than not, we would sleep in, and you know, and life was just—it was just okay. Uh, we were both working uh, in Milwaukee, and I was working for another new airline. I got a new uh, job with a new airline as a manager uh, that was owned by a large Fortune 100 company, so that was a good opportunity. My wife transferred up to Milwaukee, so we we're both working and and doing really well and really enjoying ourselves. We were, we were in love. Uh, we couldn't get pregnant, but we figured, well, there's plenty of time for that. That'll happen. You know, we're you know we're still young. Yeah. So. Well, what happened on February 12th, 1988, that was a turning point for you? Well, you know, I was, uh, we were in Atlanta um, and uh, and traveling around. Back in Milwaukee, I was starting to have some blurriness uh, in my eye okay. and vision and kind of weakness in my legs. So, of course, I'm a guy. So immediately I did nothing for <laughs> at, least, <laughs> at least two or three months. And, and it got slightly worse, not terrible, and I was able to live with it. Nobody noticed, and I certainly never said anything, especially to my wife. Right. So one day, uh, it was it was in February of 1988, I was uh, at work, and I, I made an appointment to a doctor. I didn't even have a doctor. I had, was perfectly healthy. I was very athletic, uh, working out, lifting weights, going to the health club, running, etc. But I went to the doctor, and I walked in there and waited my 20 minutes, and he looked in my eye with one of those little scopes, and he said, oh, I'm going to send you to the hospital for some tests. And I said, some tests? What kind of tests? He goes, oh, it's called a CAT scan. I had never heard of a CAT scan in 1988. And I says, well, I'm going to a Bulls game. Michael Jordan's playing Milwaukee Bucks. I remember and, those days. <laughs> yes, I remember. And you don't, you don't miss those games. Exactly. And I says, half-court seats. So I said, my game's at whatever time it was. He says, just go to the hospital. We'll do a quick CAT scan. Call us up and we'll tell you what we see. I'm like, okay. And I really wasn't worried. It really didn't cross my mind that something's seriously wrong. It really didn't. Uh-huh. Because I was feeling so good other than those those minor symptoms. Right. But I went, I got the CAT scan, talked to the doctor, and he says, uh, we just looked at the results of the CAT scan. And a CAT scan is a series of x-rays. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this was of my brain. And they said, there's something growing in the middle of your brain. It's about the size of a grape. And, and we think it's a tumor or assist but wherever it is whatever it is it's dangerous and so we need to do surgery immediately oh my gosh oh my gosh is right we i was just absolutely floored can't imagine so what i did is i says well i have tickets to a basketball game (laughs) (laughs) true story would you like me to come after the game or tomorrow morning this was a friday and uh he says no it's not safe for you to even drive says check yourself into the hospital i says okay 
I'll see you tomorrow morning. So I left the hospital. I drove home and in shock. Yeah. Not even crying, just, just totally in shock. I walk into the door and I was going with my wife and my brother and his girlfriend. And she's hanging up the phone as I'm walking in saying, Tim has a brain tumor. We have to get him back to the hospital. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. And it just, that was, that was oh. a turning point in, in our life. Wow. And your first surgery was literally within days yeah. of learning that you had a brain tumor. So they, they checked me in. It was Friday. I met my, my neurologist. I had a neurologist. Yeah. Uh, no, I met my neurosurgeon. I had a neurosurgeon. Okay. And uh, my f- surgery was on Monday because it was a Friday. Oh, my goodness. And uh, it, they, what they did is they put in a shunt into my head. And a shunt is a plastic tube that goes from your skull or your brain, in my case, in the middle of my brain, and drains to your abdomen. And what they found was, with the CAT scan, was a grape-sized tumor, small grape-sized tumor, that was blocking the flow of cerebral spinal fluid. So spinal fluid goes up to everybody's brain, cleanses it, acts as a cushion, goes back down. Yeah. In my case, it wasn't going back down. Okay. And it was causing the health problems, and, and it would have eventually killed me. Wow. And what kind of tumor was it? Well, when they, uh, the initial diagnosis, I was going to several specialists, the Medical College of Wisconsin including, and the diagnosis was uh, called a glioma which is a malignant brain tumor. It's malignant because it's cancerous or it's malignant because of the location. And in my case, they knew the location was right in the middle of the brain. Now, they could never touch the tumor. It's right in the middle of my brain. And if you go towards the tumor, you'll do more damage. Right. So uh, they said, we're just going to treat the symptoms for now and we'll worry about the tumor later. Okay. So what happened after that? Here you've had this life-changing news. Where did you go? You know, uh, you, you would think I would go to my knees, <laughs> uh, but I didn't. And, you know, we were going to church, and, and uh, I actually asked my wife recently, I said, did I get last right? She says, you did. I, I didn't remember. Okay. Um, or when I got it. But yeah. we were going to a church uh, uh, on the southwest side, I think, of uh, Milwaukee. And, but we were just going to church. We were just kind of going through the motions. We went to church and we listened and had you quizzed me if there were one, two or three readings from the Bible or four counting the Psalms, I would have had no idea. Okay. Uh, and I was an altar boy and I was a pretty good Catholic kid yeah. with solidly Catholic parents, but we really didn't, not in our hearts, Yeah. didn't really, really yeah. do that. Um, so we were just kind of going through life. This was after February 15th, which was my first surgery. And the doctor says, you know, this will probably never happen again. And... He was wrong. (laughs) So uh, a few months later, uh, I had my second surgery and my shunt blocked up. Uh, It was just clogged up with tissue from my brain. And so they had to take the shunt out and put another shunt in. And so they had to cut my head open. And, Mm. you know, I have a four inch scar uh, in the back of my head and I have holes in various parts of my skull to this Mm -hmm. day. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I had my second surgery. Shortly after that, it blocked again. I had my third surgery. Then I had meningitis several infections. And over the course of a couple of years or so, I had a total of seven brain surgeries. Oh my goodness. Uh, all were emergencies. I remember going in for the first one. Uh, I don't remember going in for any of them. My wife would take me to the hospital and a uh, terrible time. And my wife, I was 28 uh, years old. Okay. My wife is four years younger than me. So she was 24, 25, dealing oh. with this situation alone in Milwaukee because our families are all in Chicago. And uh, just a terrible, terrible time. And, and pretty much everybody was getting phone calls saying, Timmy had another surgery. Um, he's back in the hospital. And pretty much everybody was waiting for that phone call saying, Timmy didn't make it. And uh, yeah, obviously that didn't happen. And, and with each surgery, did you kind of 
have a setback a little bit? With the, every time they cut into my head, um, I would, a little bit of me was lost. So I'm a pretty spontaneous kind of happy kind of guy. Yes, you are. <laughs> and uh, I was, I was, I'm, I'm pretty quick witted. I think. I think I'm incredibly funny. <laughs> I agree. And, <laughs> and but I was just losing a little bit of myself. Yeah. And and over the course of this, uh, I started going to the Mayo Clinic. My wife was getting tired of me going getting brain surgeries. So she found the absolute best brain surgeon in the world. His name was Dr. Kelly okay. uh, at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester. Okay. So we went to Rochester. We uh, followed up with uh, Dr. Kelly. He did surgeries. I actually uh, uh, did uh, reviews of my scans and everything. So I met a neurosurgeon, a neurologist, an oncologist, and, and a regular doctor. So I had four doctors at Mayo. Wow. So the plan was, uh, if you have hydrocephalus and you have to have surgery, we're going to fly you to Mayo Clinic on an ambulance. And then we have this new procedure, a stereotactic laser surgery, yeah. which can treat treat your tumor. Uh, nothing else could. They could never touch the tumor. So these lasers could do that. So okay. th- that was the plan. So what happened when you went to Shara's sister's home in 1990? Yeah. Really interesting. You know, between surgeries, I was able to function. I could work. I could drive. I wasn't myself and I wasn't, but I could communicate and I could talk and walk. And, you know, yep. I, I seemed reasonably normal other than I'd gained 40 pounds because of medication and uh, my head was shaved uh, every surgery. Uh, But, you know, I was able to function as a human being. So we flew to Atlanta once to visit my wife's sister. And I picked up a magazine called Medjugorje Magazine. Never heard of it. Okay. And Medjugorje, uh, I was learning, was in this communist country, Yugoslavia. And it was where six children were seeing visions of the Blessed Mother. And I, I started reading this magazine article by this gentleman who was a Protestant, Wayne Weibel. And it was just really, really fascinating to me. And um, I was interested. So I told my wife, we should go to this Medjugorje. And uh, she says, oh, yeah, that's that's really a good idea. That's awesome. Um, as you Had you heard about Fatima, Lourdes, other places? of? You know, I'm a Catholic, and I went to 12 years of Catholic school, so I knew that you know, I've read Mary appeared at Fatima to children, I guessed. And I did see the movie Bernadette of Lourdes. So I, I know that uh, Mary appeared to Bernadette, St. Bernadette in Lourdes. And I'm Catholic. I believe that, you know, I believe that Jesus is in communion, really, I guess. And so, you know, I believed it like I probably, when I was young, believed in Santa Claus. Okay. Uh, but I did. Yeah. But, but not strongly and certainly no devotion. Certainly hadn't given it a thought in 30 years. Okay. I I. I kind of, you know, followed that same kind of pattern myself. So I recognize that. Um, So you read about this place where Mm -hmm. it appears that there may be something miraculous going on in our lifetime. Mm -hmm. What happened next? Well, uh, my wife and I, as I said, we were both in the airline business. Uh, We're working for different airlines in Milwaukee. And airline people are are pretty fly by the seat of their pants. I bet. And if you decide you want to go fly somewhere, you go fly somewhere. How wonderful. So I, I went to my wife says... Um, oh, in between, I, I found out my parents were going to Medjugorje. I was absolutely shocked. I had no idea. They were going with their senior group from their church. Wow. And I says, wow, I, I heard about this. I think, you know, tr- pretty cool thing. And then shortly after that, it fell through. There weren't enough people going or, or, or whatever. So okay. I went home one day and told my wife, I'm taking my parents to Yugoslavia. <laughs> this is four, four, three, four months after my seventh brain surgery. Wow. <laughs> and she looks at me. She says, what? <laughs> And uh, so we had some discussions, and she, there's absolutely no way you're going to this communist country, uh, this mountain village in the middle of nowhere. 
Right. And I says, no, I'm, I'm taking my parents. And she says, well, if you go, I'm going. So she starts doing research. Or, where are the hospitals? And how do I, you know, what happens yeah. if he gets sick? Or, or And then her parents found out about that we were going. So they says, well, we want to go too. <laughs> uh, and then my parents' neighbor went. So Marion went. So seven, seven of us ended up going, uh, planned on going on a trip to a communist country. We were going to fly to Kennedy Airport. And then we were going to catch a flight on Yugoslav Air Transport, J-A-T, wow. to um, Yugoslavia. And 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 that was the plan. And that's that's where we, that's where we go. That's neat. And, you know, I, I, I'll i share a little bit here about Medjugorje. Most of the listeners who have heard me um, lead these shows before know that I have a great love for Medjugorje because that's where my own conversion happened. And my parents went in 1989. So the year before you went, my parents also went. And yeah, it's very near and dear to my heart. And I hope more and more people um, hear the the beauty of what Medjugorje is in this lifetime and what uh, our Lord is doing through that beautiful place. Well, it's time for a commercial break, but don't go away because after we come back, Tim's going to share a little bit about what happened when he went to this little village in faraway Bosnia, Herzegovina, this tiny village, Medjugorje. This is Letty Medina with Healing the Whole Person. I give you a new commandment, love one another. For over 150 years, Catholic Financial Life has been protecting our members while caring for our brothers and sisters in need. In response to this pandemic, Catholic Financial Life is launching our Love One Another campaign. Between now and May 15th, Catholic Financial Life will match dollar for dollar the first $50,000 donated in order to create a $100,000 impact. All money raised will go to local charities on the front lines, like first responders, hospitals, or food pantries. Will you join us? Visit www.cfl.org and click on the Donate Today button. That is cfl.org and Donate Today. At Catholic Financial Life, we are always with you. My name is Father Robert McDermott. This Catholic Radio is important to keep Catholics informed about Catholic events. We know in the mainstream media there's many times that Catholic stories are distorted, and so Catholic Radio is important to present the truth with clarity and fairness. WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio is committed to bringing quality Catholic programs to our local community. We only can do that with your financial support. Take a moment now to donate online at WSFIRadio.org or mail your tax-deductible donation to WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. That's WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. Donations of any amount are greatly appreciated. Welcome back, everyone. This is Letty Medina with Healing the Whole Person, and I have my friend Tim Biondo with me here, and he's sharing his story about a healing he experienced. And we're just getting to some of the really exciting part, which is um, seven of you have now decided you're going on a trip to Europe. Where, where, did, where does this take you? So this, this trip is to this mountain, remote mountain village in Yugoslavia, which doesn't even exist anymore. Exactly. And... Uh, 
was the province of Bosnia-Herzegovina. And, and it was, you know, it was, my, my wife and I are airline people, so, so getting on an airplane and flying, even when I'm sick with, with the brain tumor, really wasn't that big of a deal, although she was very concerned. Sure. She did some research. She's she found out wife. about the hotel in Mostar. She's a very good wife. Uh, I, I married up. She's <laughs> very, very fortunate I am. And uh, so, as I mentioned, my mom and dad went, and my mother-in-law and father-in-law went, and, and our neighbor Marion went, and Char and I went, Charlene and I went, my wife. And we flew to New York, Kennedy Airport, spent the night because the flight was late. Devil was trying to stop us. And we ended up uh, going to, flying to Belgrade and ended up in Dubrovnik and then took a bus along these mountainous roadside, uh, oceanside views and to this mountain village, Medjugorje, this tiny little village. And, and I really, we, you know, we planned it and I read about it and my parents were going to go and... I, to this day, I'm not sure why we were there. This is months after my seventh brain surgery. And we went, and one of the things, we're, we're flying over the Atlantic Ocean, seven of us. And, and seven, by the way, uh, I have subsequently learned, isn't lucky because Las Vegas says it's lucky. <laughs> seven is is a special number. Uh, there's seven days of creation. And there's so many sevens in the Bible. Jesus' first miracle, uh, two loaves and five fish, or vice versa. Yep. And, uh, you know, s- seven gifts of the Holy Spirit, et cetera. There's so many sevens. So that seven of us went, providential, I think. Yes. Uh, I think our trip was actually seven days. So I'll have to go back and look at that. Yeah. And so we, we get to this mountain village late at night, and uh, we're oh, actually we're flying over the ocean, and my wife is reading the brochure. And she said, well, when are we going to Rome? And I look at her with those puppy eyes and that really blank stare, which I had a lot in those days after my seventh surgery, and said, I don't know what you're talking about. She says, no, it says three days in Rome, three days in Medjugorje. And here's a little hint. If your husband has had seven brain surgeries, don't let him plan your trip to Europe. <laughs> I did, and I says, well, that trip, three days in Rome and three in Medjugorje, didn't, they didn't have one. So we're, we're spending the whole day in Medjugorje, where the highlight of the day is daily mass. <laughs> And she's on the airplane over the Atlantic Ocean is staring at me. Oh, my goodness. So while we're on the plane, we also met a group. You know, we're, we're kind of sociable people. And it was more my mom, who's really, really sociable. And she started talking to this woman. Her name was Mary Sue and her husband, Larry. And Mary Sue and Larry Eck, it turned out, had just started this magazine uh, called Medjugorje Magazine. Yes. And they were leading a group out there, which was really good because we really had the foggiest idea what we were going to do out there. Okay. We were supposed to meet someone that was going to point us in the right direction, but we didn't have a guided tour as far as we knew. And and so Mary Sue and Larry Eck from Medjugorje Magazine, they kind of adopted us. Oh, beautiful. And uh, so we, we flew out and got to Belgrade and we did mass in the gate area in Belgrade and communist guards were watching us with guns, you know, in their arms, watching this group of 40 people or so. Wow. And so then we caught our plane onto, onto Medjugorje. And it was just almost surreal. And, and probably if I was a little sharper, I would have <laughs> maybe been panicking a little bit. Uh, but it was just a sur- absolutely surreal experience. And then, then we get to Medjugorje. Yeah. Well, can you share a little bit about what one does in Medjugorje? Well, you know, we, we read on the, on the brochure, the highlight of the day is daily mass. And I hadn't been to daily mass maybe in my life since since school since high school right and uh my i'm sure my mom or dad may have or my mother-in-law and father-in-law but not me not my wife yeah and and praying rosaries and and visiting with the visionaries and we didn't even know what a visionary was it was someone who had visions we supposed um 
But there were there are six children uh, who some are still teenagers, some are young adults who are having visions of the Blessed Mother of Mary in, yeah. in Medjugorje, similar to Lourdes and Fatima. And so you would go and we would meet some of these children and, and ask questions and, and hear the stories of the early days when they were arrested by communist guards and how they tried to stop the apparitions and how God prevailed in that. So that, that was that was our itinerary. Yeah. Well, can you share a little bit about some of the fruits of Medjugorje? Well, you know, you go to Medjugorje and you read about, well, Mary's appearing. That's a really good reason to go. And then you hear, well, miracles happen. Uh, rosaries turn gold and people see the sun spin and that's maybe a good reason to go. But absolutely, the greatest fruits of Medjugorje, um, the daily mass <laughs> is an absolutely wonderful fruit of Medjugorje. Praying a rosary with, when we were there the first time, there'd be 2,000 people praying a rosary in 20 different languages, yeah. sounding like an angelic chorus to yeah. heaven, to the Blessed Mother and to God and to Jesus and all through the Holy Spirit. It's an absolutely beautiful experience. It is. And, and the tours and the things that you see there. But the greatest miracle is, is the peace you feel. When we were in Medjugorje the entire time, I felt like we were in heaven. So beautiful. I'm sure heaven's better. <laughs> but we felt like we were in heaven. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, was guarding our heart, our mind, our soul. And we just absolutely, it, it thrived everywhere that we went in Medjugorje. Amen. And, you know, one of the things that I want to add to that list is is the confession lines. Mm. Oh. Confession lines. You, you go, they, they, they built confessionals right next to the church. And because two confessionals wouldn't be enough. No. There were, in 1990, I'm going to guess, 100 confessionals. And above each confessional is a sign with a language. Uh, you know, Spanish and French and German and Chinese and English and Serbian and, you know, whatever. Croatian. And you would go to confession. And the confessions in Medjugorje, too, are life-changing. Yeah. And I, I can't say I remember uh, the specifics about my confession. Uh, I've talked to many people who said it, just the confession, just the confession changed their life. Exactly. And, uh, and, and, and you know, the messages I says, uh, one of the messages of Medjugorje are, are going to daily mass. And another message is go to confession, go yeah. to monthly confession, at least monthly. And, you know, I've missed some months over the yeah. past 30 years, but I, I try to go every month. Yeah. And, and go to confession. And Me I prayed too. a rosary at least every day. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I'm on two today. I'll be three on my way home so uh, from here. And, and, and I'm not bragging. I'm not. No, no. That's a gift of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and I, sure. I'm grateful that I was blessed um, with those gifts that we had. And, and that's truly, truly the experience. And I haven't even talked about the Blessed Mother appearing. Which isn't which isn't too shabby, <laughs> <laughs> and and I mean okay, so let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, what is she? What are her main messages to, you know, to the children of God? Yeah. Well, the main messages are, the main thing she's trying to do is to bring Mary is trying to bring people closer to her son Jesus. Amen. That's right? the main thing. That's it. Uh, and and her stones, her tools that she uses, her five stones. Uh, and I'll miss one. Read the Bible daily. Uh, go to daily mass. Uh, pray the rosary. Uh, go to confession and what's the fifth fasting. one? Fasting. Fasting uh, on bread and water on Mondays, on Wednesdays and Fridays. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and if you can't can fast on bread and water, you find another fast. Yeah. Uh, and you sacrifice for God. And yeah. you know we we read of these things on the way there, and oh, this is really nice. Yeah. And we probably would have read the same thing if we were going to Rome or if we were going to Jerusalem. 
you know, you'd see Jesus's tomb. And it's gonna. I can't tell you how much those tools, those stones of the Blessed Mother changed our life. Right. And I mean, the reality is she is a mother and she's calling her children back to the Savior of the world mm -hmm. so that we can all be together mm -hmm. forever in this glorious place called heaven. Amen. It's pretty simple, right? Yes, it is. And um, and yet it's hard because so many people have lost their belief in, in God and have turned to putting their faith in the world and worldly things. Mm -hmm. And that will never lead to that eternity that we all want to get to. Um, so you met one of the visionaries on October 20th. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Um we, we met Visca briefly. Okay. Uh, we saw her. She was standing under uh, uh, great vines, and, you know, she kind of told her story. It was a big crowd. We didn't hear too much, and that was kind of cool. And then on October 20th, uh, it, we were blessed. Mary Sue and Larry X says, oh, we're going to go meet Mariana. Oh, that's one of the visionaries, right? Right. Okay, good. And so we went to this uh, cinder block building. And uh, Mariana was then about 20, 21 years old, I'm guessing. And she was sitting down and she was pregnant, actually. She had just gotten married and she was pregnant with her first child, uh, who she ultimately named Maria, which is a beautiful name. And um, we were just, she was telling the story of how they were arrested in, in the early days of Medjugorje and how Father Yozo, the first priest in Medjugorje, was arrested and how faith persevered and, and how we are all here today, uh, six years later after that happening. And so people are talking and asking questions. So I finally raised my hand and I says, yeah, hi. Um, I don't have any questions. I says, but the next time you talk to her, because I'm pretty presumptuous, <laughs> uh, the next time you talk to the Blessed Mother, could you tell her a thank you for me? Because I'm still alive and I really, really shouldn't be. Or words to that effect. <laughs> and uh, she, she looked at me and she said, I will. She says, I'll tell her. But when you pray to the Blessed Mother, she hears you just as well as I hear her when I have a vision with her. And she said that. And I got, an I can't describe the incredible feeling I had throughout my body. Electricity was just, and I, I didn't float. I didn't, no one noticed. It was unmistakable. And I didn't say anything until later that evening. And my mom says, oh, you were anointed by the Holy Spirit. And I'm, oh, okay, mom. <laughs> You're holier than me. I don't. Know. <laughs> and uh, but it was an absolutely incredible feeling. How beautiful uh, that I've I've not forgotten. Thirty years later. Absolutely. So I know you, Tim, mm -hmm. and I I know your wife a little bit. I've met her um, years ago, but I know that both of you have given your lives fully to God, and and that was all mm -hmm. through this trip. No question. We came back, and we were the the scales fell off our eyes. We, uh, we dedicated our life to God, and as long as our life would be, and I, again, we have to remember, I, I've just had my seventh brain surgery uh, three or four months before this, and uh, we came back on fire for God. We also thought, no, let me rephrase that, we also knew God put on our hearts, you're going to have a baby, girl, <laughs> I'll try not to cry, you're going to name her Maria, after the Blessed Mother, and... And I had this conversation with my wife, and she says, yeah. She said, what about Mary? I go, no, it's going to be Maria. And we were just just sure that we were going to get pregnant because the doctors never said we couldn't get pregnant. Right. And November came, 1990, and we weren't pregnant. 
And December came and we weren't pregnant. And January came and we still weren't pregnant. And it was just kind of an interesting, we weren't discouraged. We said, oh, huh, then, then there's another plan. Because we know we're going to have a baby girl and we know we're going to name her Maria. And so he says, we'll look into foster care or adoptive care. We, you know, we don't know. And, and we started, you know, thinking about that. Didn't do anything. Five days later, my wife gets a phone call. Um, and remember that rosary that we talked about that someone gave her? Says, Marina, can you get this rosary blessed in the church? Well, Marina lived in Kansas City. And Char had to give the rosary to this woman. Her name was Sharon. To return to Marina. Okay. And, and that's the rosary that turned gold. So this woman, Sharon, in January first, second week, third week in January, called up my wife and said, uh, Char, do you remember me? You gave me that rosary to return to Marina. And Char says, yeah, I remember. And she says, well, you know, I did. And I didn't, I remember I asked you to pray for my niece because she's kind of a troubled youth, you know, 19-year-old kid. And Char says, yeah, I remember. And you gave me a little blessed medal or something to give to her. She says, yeah. She says, well, I didn't know it at the time uh, when, when you gave me that rosary, but she's pregnant. And she's not married. And uh, I told her about you and your husband, and she wants you and your husband to adopt her unborn child. She's doing four weeks. Wow. So my wife and I worked at the same building, airport in Milwaukee. She called me into her office, and she told me this. And we're crying, and we call the birth mother. And the birth mother's first name is Christy. C-H-R-I-S-T, I-E, no coincidence. And uh, so we're talking to this young woman. And she says, you know, I, you know, I, I know that you could, you can't have children, and I know no one will ever let you adopt or foster because of your illness. So I want you to adopt my unborn child. Uh, do you want to know if it's a boy or girl? And tears are streaming down our face. And uh, I looked at my wife and I go, well, I know it's a girl. Her name's going to be Maria. And she says, yeah, it's a girl. We go, we know it's a girl, and we're. <laughs> so Maria was born, uh, February eighteenth, nineteen ninety one. And uh, that's the, I, I, my life, I've been very blessed with many miracles. Uh, that's the greatest miracle of my life. Not that she's my greatest child when she's listening to this later. Uh, but she's absolutely a wonderful miracle of my life. And changed our life. The scales never returned after that. How amazing. God that's, is good. It's a powerful story. Well, so what's going on now with your health at this point? Okay, so, you know, February, March, April 1991, uh, I'm, I'm, again, as in between the other surgeries, I'm able to function, f feeling better, I guess, I, you know, I don't remember specifically, but I was fine. So I went back to the Mayo Clinic in uh, July, probably June or July of 1991 for a follow-up checkup, and because they, they've got that helicopter or that <laughs> flight for life ready to fly me to Rochester, right. and... Uh, so I, I go to see Dr. Kelly, Dr. Buckner, the other two doctors, names I don't recall, and did, did a CAT scan. I did an MRI. We were doing MRIs now because that was right the time yeah. where magnetic resonance imaging was coming in. And I'm sitting with Dr. Buckner in his office after the, after the MRI, and he, and he looks, and he says, hmm. I said, what? He goes, hmm. He goes, shrunk. I go, shrunk? He goes, yeah. It shrunk in half. It's no longer obstructing the cerebral spinal fluid from going back into your... I go, huh. I thought the malignant gliomas that are in the middle of your brain don't shrink. He goes, they don't. Hmm. <laughs> so we humped for each other. And he says, wow, we don't, you know, so they don't, they have no idea. Um, I've, I've had maybe dozens of, of MRIs since, uh, and I've been perfectly healthy ever since that time. Praise God. Uh, God is so good. And, 
you know, we continue to say, what do you want us to do, Lord? What do you want us to do in your life? And, you know, we prayed that prayer. What do you want us to do, Lord? What do you want us to do, Lord? Every day. And, and in this particular case, uh, three years down the road, it's now 1994, we says, you know, we got our baby. We have Maria. So let's give homes to kids nobody wants. And so let's, you know, take in foster kids or whatever, you know, kids with this. We had no idea. Right. And we uh, says, yeah, that, you know, we'll start doing that. So we contact, you're Catholic, what do you do? You call Catholic Charities. So we called Catholic Charities and had our background checks and some training and whatever. And Sister uh, Caroline, who was a parishioner at St. Paul the Apostle for a while, uh, she writes down, she says, okay, uh, we have this little girl. This little and a couple of days later, we get a phone call in July 11th, 1994. Oh, we have this little baby boy. Uh, we want you to pick up from the hospital. Nope, sorry. We had a little baby we want you to pick up from the hospital. And uh, so uh, that turned out to be our son, but an interesting story. On the way to the hospital, my mother-in-law and father-in-law were living with us while their uh, condo was being built. And they were guessing, wonder what if it's a boy or a girl. And my three-year-old daughter, Maria, uh, who's now three years old, says, oh, it's, it's, it's a boy. His, the baby's name is Michael. And they're saying, oh, well, maybe, you know, my mother-in-law saying, maybe maybe we'll name the baby Bozo. And Maria in, insisted the baby's name is Michael. So Shar comes home a couple hours later with this two-day-old baby, four-day-old baby. And uh, he's like, oh, oh, he's beautiful. What's uh, what's his name? And she's, oh, it's Michael. She's like, Maria knew. Maria <laughs> knew the baby's name was Michael. So Michael was born. Uh, Michael was not born perfectly healthy. Was born with uh, several disability, uh, you know, drug and alcohol exposure, and yeah. pretty severe, pretty significant. Um, I'll fast forward on Michael uh, into late grammar school and high school, and he was the, you know, one of the best athletes at Warren High School and medaled at state. Uh, high jump, running, uh, football, all star, baseball, all star, basketball, all star. Uh, a perfect memory. Uh, you know, life's different. You know, we think differently, uh, but he's, he's doing really well um, right now. And so, so that's Michael. So uh, a few months went by and phone rings again. Sister Caroline, we got a little baby girl. So we picked up a 15-month-old baby girl who was born to a very young woman, a 13-year-old girl. Wow. And uh, so that, that would be our daughter, uh, Jess. And then a year later, uh, we picked up our son, David, from the hospital and, uh, about a year later, we picked up Jacob from the hospital, oh and gosh. at the same time, we got a phone call from a friend. Uh, he says, hey, I got this little girl who needs a place to live in Texas. Uh, she's five years old. Wow. So that's my daughter, Chelsea. And you know, we, we went from one to six children in three years. Wow. Um, life was a blur. <laughs> and uh, my wife spent five days, four or five days a week, uh, speech therapy, physical therapy, occupational therapy, you know, taking all the kids because I'm working. My wife quit her job uh, when Maria was born, and uh, and and today our kids are doing really well. Praise God. Uh, some of my kids, uh, uh, I don't know how many are in college right now. Two or three are in college right now. I've got one that's working on her second master's degree. Uh, one that's you know was a registered invasive cardiovascular specialist, and uh, Maria is an orthodontist assistant. And God is really really good. So that was three years after that. Wow. That is amazing. Yes. And that is such a beautiful witness to the love of God flowing through your heart and Shar's mm-hmm. heart, right? That all of a sudden you had this capacity to love 
that was beyond you, right? Mm-hmm. In a sense, and God, and God just said, "Bring them in, huh? bring them in. They need homes, and mm-hmm. you're gonna you're gonna be their parents." Yeah. Oh man, we 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 wouldn't had we known this is how it would be. We wouldn't have waited so long. Obviously, that's the plan that God had for us. Right. And so we, you know, for the next fifteen years, we raised our kids, and 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 they're all doing okay. Good. Uh, we. We likely, not likely, we have more challenges than most. First of all, we have six kids. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, you know, they, they've got some you know challenges that are sure. all doing pretty, pretty well. Uh, after 15 years, um, we took in another young lady who had a little baby boy uh, named Caleb. So Sierra and Caleb came to live with us. And then right after that, um, we, we went back into the foster care system. And then we took in a couple of boys, Jacob and Jackson. And uh, this past December, we we adopted Jacob, and this will sound weird, but what we decided would be in best their both best interests would be that Jackson uh, would be adopted by my daughter Maria. So Maria adopted Jackson. Oh my goodness! Shortly after we adopted Jacob. Wow, that is coming full circle, isn't it? God is very good. <laughs> And where does Maria live close to you? Maria lives in Wisconsin, so okay. we see her pretty often, okay. pretty regularly. So we see Jackson all the time. And uh, uh, Sierra uh, was, you know, when, when she came to live with us, um, really didn't have anywhere to live. Yeah. And um, she was a kid that aged out of the foster care system and was kind of struggling. And, uh, you know, we gave her a place to live. And... Uh, her and Michael ended up getting together and got married and had a baby. And, uh, you know, there's lots of stories there, but we, we, we don't I'm have... Sh- <laughs> I'm sure you have a lot of amazing stories, a lot of amazing stories to but, share with all these they're, people. They're all doing, doing very well. Well, we're coming to the end of this amazing show. And, you know, I just, again, I want to thank you for coming and sharing this beautiful witness because it, it, it again, it glorifies God greatly and his love, his mercy, his generosity, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. To get to yeah. like, no, we're not going to just get, let you have one kid. We're going to let you have like a whole multitude of mm-hmm. children. And it, it, it's his abundant life, right? And you've never looked back. Mm. No. And what a beautiful thing that you and Shar experienced that change of heart together and have been able to journey into this beautiful life to glorify him together. That's yeah. a that's a powerful witness to yeah. anybody. I won't tell you it was easy. I'm sure it was. Uh, if you have one child, it's not easy. Exactly. Um, I won't tell you it's easy. It, we wouldn't change a thing. Exactly. We, we wouldn't change a thing. And, and we are humbled when we think about God all the people in the world chose us to do this. Exactly. Humble. Not, you know, we, we are blessed far more than any of our, our kids. People say, oh, your kids were so lucky. No, we're the lucky ones. Yeah. We're the lucky ones. And, and, and again, I, just to sum up your message overall is that, yes, the, the healing or the shrinking of that tumor, great, great miracle, right? right? It was a physical healing that you received after that trip. Um, but the greater miracle was the change of heart that you and your wife both went through yeah no question the love that god gave us for our kids um instantly and and a mission to to live it out and to give him the glory for it all absolutely yeah thank you so much tim for coming and sharing this beautiful story i hope um maybe we will have you back because i know you have more stories (laughs) to share um, thank you all for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this as much as I have. And uh, we'll be back uh, next week, every week, with uh, Healing the Whole Person. This is Letty Medina. 
Bye-bye. That's 224-206-8455. Or visit us online at wsfiradio.org. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease.